0: Me and my friend are walking to a bar Cool evening underneath the stars, and we'll find Hello and you're in the cool room. It's your friend David Griffiths here welcoming you back to the online Meet the Brewer series part of our program. We've got a very, very special night uh, tonight where the uh, good people from Gypsy Hill in the UK, in England, London are going to be joining us. Just before I kick off with a proper introduction for those guys. Our usual little spiel, just to make sure that we're all organized, whether you're joining us in the Zoom room or whether you're listening to the podcast version later on. Uh, We hope that you enjoy yourself. We hope that you have uh, liked and subscribed and reviewed the podcast. Uh, That's what helps to get things out there and make sure that we get these high profile breweries on to join us. Uh, and we really hope that you, uh, you'll you come and join us for future ones, which means if you're not already following us on social media, please do so. That's how you'll find about, out about our future events. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about four beers from Gypsy Hill. So we suggest that you have them ready to go. You should have received them in your tasting packs. If you haven't, Already, Then feel free to jump onto our Shopify, which you'll find from our social medias, and we can deliver you the beers that you're going to be listening uh, to the conversation about tonight. That way you can enjoy them that much more. Uh, The four beers that you'll need are the Sower, the Hepcat, the Spotter, and the Scalatrice, although I might have mispronounced any number of those in any number of ways. We'll get to that. The guys are enjoying, I can see on Zoom, they're enjoying my pronunciation. We'll get to that. Uh, don't feel that you need to drink them. Uh, they're big cans and there's some high alcohol ones there later on. The things don't feel that you need to drink them all to enjoy yourself. Uh, feel free to press pause if you're uh, in. Uh, listening on the podcast version. That way you can finish the beer before we move on to the next one. You'll be able to, uh, we'll let you know when we move from one to the other. Or if you're in the Zoom room, make yourself a little tasting paddle and share with others in your household. Um, I reckon we're going to keep it pretty quick in terms of intro, and that's about as quick as it gets from me. So, Travis Bristos, feel like introducing the guys who are sitting in front of the awesome looking uh, barrel room there and um, kick us off with the sewer.
1: Thank you, David. Thanks guys for joining us. Um, I think you're yeah, the second podcast we've had on that have had barrels in the background, which I think is pretty cool. It's a good look. It's a very good look. Let's start off with uh, you guys just giving us a bit of an insight into where the brewery is, paint us a picture of uh, where you guys are located. Do
2: you want to go, you're the local. Sure.
3: <laughs> yeah, Sam and, I, Sam and I started this place in uh, Well, we started building in and putting it together the end of 2013, but 2014, summer 2014 is when we did our first brewing. Um, so it'll be seven this summer, is that mm-hmm. right? I got my maths right. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it feels like longer. Sometimes it feels like it's gone very quickly indeed. Probably more the latter, I suppose. But um, yeah, since then we've, 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 we've built the business into becoming basically one of the largest independent breweries in London. Um, forget the number of breweries in, in London now, but it's, uh, it's probably decreasing slightly at the moment. But uh, yeah, <laughs> <We've>, um, <coughs> we're down in Gypsy Hill, which is in Southeast London, not far from Crystal Palace, which might be a name that some people know because of Premiership Football. Um, we get a lot of support in our local area. Most of the people that work here live very close. and Most of our business is down in Southeast and, and, and London. Although in the last few years, we've branched out into sort of more national retail, becoming more of a, of a national brand, as it were. Um, we've got 30 employees today, including Uh oh.
2: Yeah, yeah, that. about 30, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, we've got six units down here on site. And uh, started off in one and slowly kept grabbing them in um, as they came available. So uh, on, the, on the one hand, it's like a bit of a hodgepodge of units that have all been bundled together. And on the other hand, it's actually quite a nice little sort of uh, journey. As we've got a new unit, we've managed to grow into it and turn it into our packaging site or our conditioning site or our tap room space. Or we're just turning one of our old warehouses now into an office and barrel aging site to uh, supplement the barrels you can see behind you here. So yeah. Nice. Um, so yeah, it's an it's a nice little industrial state um, and uh, we've got the run of the yard um, in terms of uh, taproom space on weekends. So if if any of you, you ever find yourself over in the UK in the next decade, I don't know, don't know when you'll be able to. Maybe
1: maybe uh, in the next decade.
2: Yeah, maybe. Um, it'd be it'd be great to uh, be great to host you.
1: Um, Sam, you mentioned just before that you're not local
2: uh well I'm, I'm in i'm in west london officially now so i live like almost the furthest way of the brewery of anyone but it's still only like 40 minutes on a bicycle um so uh it's not it's not that far yeah, in australia
3: term that's pretty late but we
2: know yeah i guess that's close for you guys right but <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um so what were you guys doing before you joined forces to create the brewery how did you guys come to be together
3: yeah, Sam, Sam was a, <clears throat> we had a, mu- a mutual friend who actually lives over in Sydney um, at the moment, but he's uh, he's just finished his second hotel quarantine, actually. <laughs> um, he uh, he introduced us. I was looking to, so I, I had a, I'd had a few different careers, journalism, a bit of teaching. I was looking to start a brewery. Um, I had, had actually embarked on starting a brewery, which mainly involved ordering very expensive things made of stainless steel. Um <laughs> And I'd found a unit. I got that far. Sam was pointed to me because he was also um, toying with the idea of starting a brewery in, in Spain. Sam has a Spanish wife, so he had a, 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 an idea to go over there and do that. So we met up ostensibly, um, so I could just share with him what I knew about 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 brewing and the industry, which which was. Not that much at that, at that point, but um, so we had, a, we had a nice meeting at a, a place called The Rake in London, which is quite a famous small craft beer place. It was a nice, nice place to have that meeting. Sam was about an hour and a half late from memory. And I shared what I knew, <clears throat> which probably didn't take that long. Um, but actually I was also looking for a business partner at the time, I didn't really want to do it on my own. Um, so I came away from that meeting thinking, you know, how nice would it be for Sam and I to do this together. And I think I asked you quite, quite promptly afterwards, would you ditch your crazy notion to go and start a brewery in Spain and uh, and do this with me? And <clears throat> Sam took a relatively short time to mull that over. convincing his, convincing his wife might have been the hardest part, I think. And um, and we joined forces. And I guess it was at the end of two thousand and thirteen, early early twenty fourteen.
1: Yeah. Oh, nice. Wow. Um, that's that's a pretty. Interesting way to do it, going from being opening a brewery in Spain to to back to the UK. That's that's a big call. Had the wife take it? (laughs) Yeah, um,
2: it's been hanging over my head ever since, Um, and uh, there is there's still the desire to move to Spain, but um, we're now actually pretty nicely settled here, I guess, and I'm getting away with like Spanish holidays and things like that. Um, I mean, it'd be great to <clears throat> it'd be great to be in Spain, and the Spanish beer scene has gone like has, has really evolved a lot in the last seven years too. So it's it's uh, exciting to think what what would have been if we'd gone over there. But um, uh, yeah, it's been it, we're glad it's worked out the way uh, the way that it has. Uh, to be honest, it would have been it would have been more difficult starting a brewery in Spain in 2014 um, than it than it is now. And, yeah. uh, and I'm glad it happened in London because this is like a you know it's a, a nice epicenter for for crafting in the UK and even Europe to a certain degree. So, uh, so, so yeah, (laughs) she's kind, she's kind and forgiving.
0: What what, what, give us a hundred words or less on the Spanish beer scene, because I guess that's something here in Australia. We hear, well, I hear nothing about what's, what's what sort of the styles that they're into and, you know, how does craft sort of feature
2: there? Yeah. So I would, I would, I would say it's probably, it's in, it's, it's just exiting infancy. Um, and um, there are some people who are pulling away in terms of quality, um, but very much it is the repetition of, like, that national craft, uh, like, experience of hazy beers and hoppy beers and experimental adjunct beers. So um, everyone is, like, everyone who's getting into craft is actually sort of figuring it out via those, those kinds of beers um, as opposed to starting off with your, like, you know your clean west coasts and then growing up through pale ales and that kind of thing so it's kind of it's doing that jump it like running potentially before it can walk but mm-hmm. but some people are doing a a great job of pushing out some quality stuff so um and uh, and a couple of breweries have got like real core schoos that are brilliant like west coast style beers that people people love so um yeah it's a, it's a weird one they don't have in the uk obviously we've got our middle ground of like bitters and stouts and different kinds of styles it's really just lager in spain um it's like it's light lager at that so um so there's like a big sort of gulf between um the beers that the craft scene make out and the beers that sort of the majority are are, are drinking so um yeah it's, it's an interesting one it's still growing and finding its feet, i think but it's, it's good
1: without getting off the gypsy hill story too much we're going to talk about the beer we're trying at the moment if there's one Spanish brewery out there that we should be keeping an eye out for, who would it be? Ha. Well, um, I am. I'm going to
2: say my my friends at Basqueland Land, um, who are based in um, San Sebastian. Um, they and that's not just because we did a nice collab there over a weekend that involved lots of pinchos and uh, tours around the old town and some surfing as well. It's not because of that. Um, it's because their beers are fantastic and they're a really great crew. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I would say, I would say them. And if you're ever like in the Northern, Northern part of Spain, um, they're, they're great. Um, but there are lots, um, the Cedretria Peninsula is just North of Madrid and they just won the, um, new brewery of the year in Spain. Um, and there's a cut, like Barcelona is really like the hotbed for craft beer in Spain. So um, there's lots of great ones down there. Uh, one of the first breweries in Spain, though, was set up by an English guy called Andrew, who's a good friend of mine as well, and that is in a uh, a, a tiny little town just in like central northern Spain too, which is called Douglas. So like this hardcore like Scottish name beer a brewery, like right in, in the heartland of Cantabria. Um, so anyway, they're they're great as well. There's there's a bunch. <laughs>
1: Amazing. I feel like that's a whole other podcast there. It's great.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And and we should give, it's an opportune little moment to give a shout out to Ryan and the team from Experience It who uh, we've had on the show a few times now uh, because they're the guys who've made this uh, possible tonight by bringing in your delightful beers. And um, Ryan has put up in the chat in the room that uh, Cerveza Peninsula is available through them. So we might even have a look at that in the future. But uh, oh, just wow. a, a yeah. little moment to say thank you to that team for making this happen. No worries. Let's, let's,
4: let the sewers uh, clear before we start getting it. <laughs>
1: the- <No. laughs> All right, we're going we're gonna to move on to the first beer we're trying tonight. So we're trying uh, the sower. I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. Perfect. Can you guys give us a quick breakdown on on the flavor profile and what the listeners should be experiencing with with this beer?
2: Yeah, for sure, Travis. And can I just, as a point of order, um, not that this is very formal, but um, oh, I like- it is now. I, I like to intro the beer like on uh, on minute one so people can can drink and enjoy like uh, as you're we're going through the the ambling of uh, the story and the background and the rest of it because uh then they got something to do as opposed to just sitting there salivating. Um, <laughs> our, our,
1: people our, listen- wait,
0: our people don't wait to be told they need to open their yeah, beer. Yeah, don't mate,
1: <laughs> I don't think we've ever had an experience on this podcast where we've actually had to tell someone to open their beer to try it. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. That, yeah. well,
2: that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, well, in which case, we'll, we'll dive into this. This is a, a pink guava, a mango-style sour. So we've, um, we've really taken the, style, the sour style. And I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say made it our own, but um, we do it in a way that's fairly unique, um, in the UK at least. Um, so they're really fruit-forward sours. Um, we uh, we have our we have our own souring kettle at the brewery, which means that um, we are we give the sours that we make all the time they need to um, for the for lactobacillus to do its work and to get a really big drop in in, in pH to make them nice and sour. Um, so uh, that's usually a three or four day process for us. Um, and we've got our own laboratory, so we're propagating up our lactobacillus strains a lot of the time. Um, so uh, we, we get a nice, like healthy blend of like, pretty vicious lactose strains that really go to town on the beers and get it nice and sour before we even start the process. The reason we like to do that is the more sour it is, the more sweetness you can balance to offset that. Um, so we can get a really jammy, like fruit forward sour that's still got balance with the sourness if, um, if it's got a, a properly like tart base to begin with. So, um, so the souring process is, is, is fairly unique. Um, there aren't that many with second kettles, um, in, in, in the country. Um, and then, um, and then, yeah, what we do towards the end of the process is we add in all our fruits, uh, once the beer has been fully fermented out. And, um, and stabilize it by giving it light pasteurization to make sure that there's no can explosions and, uh, and, and, and get it out to market, carve it and can it. So, um, so what you get as a result of that is all of that real fruit flavor in it. Um, like the flavor of fruits is largely sugars. Um, so the sugar chains are, are the flavor of, of the fruit, different kinds of glucoses and things like that. If you allow them to be fermented, then you don't get as much fruit flavor. You're left with the sort of proteiny, maybe pectiny, you know, colorings and other kinds of much longer chain um, fruit sugar flavors. Um, whereas, like the juicy fruit flavors, reside more in the in the in the shorter chain ones that are highly fermentable. So that's why we do things that way around. We leave a lot of jamminess and fruitiness in the beer by by giving it a light pasteurize before we before we can it and then get it out.
5: When um, when. Sorry to to interrupts. Um, yeah. When you say a light pasteurise, what what process? Oh, we understand, yeah, you're heating the beer, but how well, how is a light pasteurise as opposed to to another process?
2: Well, so you can pasteurise as strongly or as uh, as lightly as you want. Really, there's a scale. It's called the P the PU scale, um, and basically, to make uh, to make yeast not ferment anymore, you only need to go to like. Three or four PUs, um, whereas if you're doing juices, for example, um, to make sure that you kill all the bacteria, you need to go to many hundreds of PU. Um, so there's there's a scale that you go through. Napa Beer is a great brewery as well from Spain, as true. Um, there's a, so that there's a scale that you go through depending on what you on what you want to do. We don't have any bacteria in in the beer when it comes down to when it comes down to the end of the process because we we killed it all off in the kettle and because we're clean, we, uh, we're a clean brewery, we don't have an issue with bacterial infections, that would be a really big deal. Um, so, uh, so that's what I mean when I, say, when I say light. But we did all the testing on it too. Obviously pasteurization is a bit of a bad rap because it, um, for hoppy beers, it can, it can denature all of the volatile oils and basically accelerate the aging process. All the flavours in this beer are—they they don't age really. They don't—they don't—they um, don't denature. They—they're not volatile. They're all in the beer, as it were. They're not oils that sort of escape from the beer, or that or that gradually erode over time. So, um, so we did tests, and and basically the flavour is really, really stable after it goes goes through that process. Um, and so, so we're happy to uh, to use it. Um, does that make sense? That yeah. does.
1: I think that's one of the best science explanations we've ever had on the podcast.
5: Yeah, <laughs> we say that every time someone signs us at
1: it. <laughs> We're having a science nerd moment now. Um, how many sours do you guys make?
2: It's um, it's at least one a month. Um, and we just got in some half-sized tanks. So most breweries are obviously getting bigger and bigger as we we're getting smaller and smaller tanks um, but uh, <laughs> um, we get bigger tanks as well but the half size ones mean that actually we can do more experimental stuff so um this this actual in 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 April we've got um, two two sour beers coming out for the first time um, and so we're going to be doing one to two a month um, from now on and um, depending on how it goes may even do a core cool beer that's uh that's, that's a sour beer as well what's um what's uh, your definition of a half size tank. I suppose. What's the definition of a full size tank for for you guys? Is yeah, full, full size for us is is uh, six thousand liters because mm. um, that's what we cast out from the kettle. Um, uh, so half size is three thousand. Cool.
3: Nice. Yeah. We have actually um, we've actually just sent a whole batch of flour to um, to Ryan and his team, which. May he still be in a Sears Canal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> I don't know if Ryan wants to talk about that or not. It might it's it's uh it's gonna be maybe on the shelves of Dan's nationwide, Dan Murphy's, I think you call it. Yeah. What's on so, tell us what's on the way, yeah. Whether it's Ryan or should...
4: yeah, Charlie, tell things about. I don't I don't hear about, but I, I deal only with the independence. That's all done through Johnny. But um if uh if Charlie can
3: yeah sure happy to yeah it's well it's a it's a mango and passion fruit sour i think it's about 4.8 percent so i think a couple of cases are going to every every um every dan's store i think you call it dan's don't you
4: um
3: we i think, do. It's, I, think it, I believe it's launching in may so that's in that's in three weeks nice So yeah so um that'd be good we look we like we, we we're comfortable exporting all of our beers to, to australia but there's nothing we like to export more than those sorts of beers they taste you know, partly because of the pasteurization they just taste so good even after the year so that's um i do push for those sorts of things yeah is, but we're really happy this one this one has tastes this one tastes really good
5: sorry charlie is someone banging out a coffee in the background
3: oh yeah sorry about that i, I was
5: pretty, i was quite sure it's none of us drinking coffee at, at
1: 7 56 p.m <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's
5: all right yeah. it's all good it's a beautiful sound right yeah
1: I'm glad you picked up on that, Warren, because I was wondering what it was. And
0: yeah.
1: oh, that's definitely a grind. you got the secret that sound. Definitely as well. a grind, yeah. Yeah. Hands
0: up, which of the presenters has run a cafe before? <laughs> Just you, Warren. Yeah. <laughs>
5: that's probably a Mazza, one of the single dose ones.
0: Okay, moving right along. <laughs> um, depending on how people are going, I reckon we're probably a couple of minutes away from moving on to the to the Hepcat. Um, but I might just ask before we, we move off sours, is, it, is sours a style that you both enjoy? And so when you were sort of sitting down and having those first conversations about working together and opening a brewery, you know, was it we'd, you both wanted to make sours? Or what was that sort of conversation about what beers did you envisage
3: being the style that you wanted to be known as, as, a, as a pairing? Well, no, we we were <clears throat> we were actually quite keen to have a, a, some sort of USP. We need, we need relatively little about the market. Actually, we our focus then was on, on low to mid-strength beers when we when we um when we, when we got going, and that's actually what we weren't considering necessarily even brewing specials that much. Not to begin with, there's just different models, aren't there, for, for for a young brewing business? And you can focus on core range, you can focus on new new stuff, you can do something in between, um, which is which is what we do. This is what we do these days, but. Sours weren't, I mean, I don't think Sam would particularly have many sours, and I'd only, I probably only had a couple. There weren't, there weren't that many around. Certainly it, not sours like this, with, um, in the UK at the time. Yeah, so. barely
2: any. They're, they're quite, a, it's, an, it's always the year of the sour. Starting from like 2016, everyone's been saying this is the, the sours go mainstream, right? But it's, yeah, back in, I mean, only in 2013 or so, it was mainly just Belgian beers that were, that were, that were sour, at least, yeah, in, in the UK. Um, more than anything for the sours, for me, it's about, Making them the best version of, of, the, of the style they can possibly be. Like, that's, what's, that's what drives us a lot. It's like, let's take the style and let's absolutely own like, how, how good it can be. Um, there's a lot of fun in that. I mean, I, I love drinking them. Um, weirdly, my, my dad only likes best bitters and our sour beers, um, which couldn't which really be that more different from each other. Mm, yeah. uh, and my brother, as you, you'll try Hepcat in a bit, he finds Hepcat too hoppy and really only likes our, our sour beers as well. Was Um, there
1: a sour beer that you tried back in the beginning of the sour era back in the UK that made you make that decision that you were going to start brewing sours? Like, is there something, is there a beer that pops into your head every time you think of sours and go, that was the reason, that was the beer of choice at the time?
3: There's not really any, I wouldn't say there have been or are any iconic sour beers in the UK. There's no one who's making like this, this munch, munch just kind of, um, go-to big sour beer it's more it's more people doing experimental stuff there's some breweries who've carved out a good name for themselves on there and we would have we would have looked to one of those two breweries and seen that the, what they were making was very popular and they were doing it well mm. um, there wasn't like some iconic brand in a way that you might pick out a double ipa for example
2: yeah i think i just when when you go around in beer festivals tasting the sour beers i was like i think there's so much potential in all of these but somehow there is also just a bit lacking in all of them as well. And for me, that was like a big fruit finish. They all kind of died quite early on with a fruit finish. or the fruit was just very, very gentle. And so it was, it was actually a really sour beer with a tickle of fruit as opposed to a balanced sweet and sour beer. So we always just, I, I saw the Stylist one that had a lot of potential to, to go for. As you try everyone's sours and, and you're like, there's, there, there's room here for something different so um yeah but i mean for me like belgian beers and things they, they remain they're a constant they're very different to this kind of thing obviously but they are they're fantastic and you know we've got some a uh, golden sour um that's been barrel aged and it's very much of the belgian style coming out which is just i'm so happy with it's it's really just a delicious beer um i have to jump off i'm afraid now i'm gonna leave you guys but, but um Enjoy all the rest of your tastings. Thank you so much for, for having me, and I'll leave you in the capable uh, capable embrace of Charlie. Thank you, Sam. Thank, thank you, Sam. You. Thank,
0: you,
3: Sam. No, Thanks, uh, thank you. Sorry, I warned you. You had time for half an hour.
0: Yes, for the, for those tuning in from various other spots around the world, and I guess, again, I thank you for everyone who's uh, who's stuck with us as we've had to change the date of this a few times as the Suez Canal and, I don't know, balloons and... Uh, camels on pogo sticks however the other beers were being delivered. We've had to delay this a couple of times which has meant that uh, Australia has stopped being in daylight savings and all of the hours have changed and uh, I in particular wasn't smart enough to figure out that that would affect what time it would be available because things just work don't they as opposed to me asking those questions.
1: (laughs) I think we should move on to the HEPCAT David, which you were going to take us through, um, I'm going to open up my can. So I'm opening it when Sam tells me told me to open it at the very first minute. Yeah, I'm going um, to open my can as well. So and I have to I've, I'm in a weird position for this one. For the first time ever, I've got to split my beers in half.
5: I, well, <clears throat>
0: let's get on with the.
5: Hip-cat. I like I like that Sam brought up a point of order because this is yeah, this ship doesn't have any orders. This ship just sails the way it does, <laughs> wherever the wind blows.
0: I, and and I'm now going to take command and say, Warren, stop talking. Let's move on to the Hepcat. <laughs> Let's talk about the Hepcat. We've we've heard the very sort of beginning stories of how you guys met and um, your sort of first conversations about having a brewery. But the Hepcat's right up there amongst the first of the beers that you produced. Uh, is that right? And um, tell us what sort of inspired this and why it's still one of your most important beers.
3: Yeah, it is one of our most important beers. So it wouldn't be obviously, or maybe not obviously, many of you know, most breweries do have their, their main beer. Um, it's, it's often 80, 90, 95% of what they make. And, and the other stuff is, is to a greater or lesser extent sort of, um it's there but it's it, 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 you know in some cases it's more for the shop window not to not to not to denigrate it, but you know what i mean it's uh, everyone's usually got their big beer and that's what they're churning out and that's what they're putting in kegs and that's the stuff you see on, in the bars and, and and they have they have fun with the rest of it right um we we've never not wanted to have a beer that was was that big but we're quite pleased that Hipcat's more of a it's like a 40%er it's like 40 to 45% of what we make it's still it's still that still it's still the brand that we're known for like Outside of these sorts of circles, right, and that, that the average um, man or woman who sees our beer on a, on a shop shelf like knows us for Head Cat mainly. That's the and that's the one you see in a lot of the pubs, um, all the best pubs, obviously around uh, around London. So it's that's like our flagship beer basically. But it's it, it's weird to have a flagship beer that's less than half of what we produce. And that's partly because we've got some other good core cool range beers that have got some good traction. Um, uh, also because we produce so many specials like the, we produce more specials than, than most breweries I, I, I suppose and um, four 60 heck batches of specials a month is quite a lot of quite a lot of beer it makes our specials program about
5: 25%
3: of what we do uh, which is completely exhausting <laughs> getting the uh, mainly from on the label side right getting these these sorts of labels produced and and printed in time and Having the right information for the Scandies and the the pregnancies (laughs) for the French and everything else, like it's uh, it's uh, only become more complicated in the last few months with Brexit, obviously. Like it's. uh, it's I was about to do a Brexit joke, but you got there before me. That's fantastic. No free. No, but it's um, anyway. I'm I'm deviating, but Hepcat, yeah, that's 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 our that's our main beer, Um, and there's a lot of people that know. We can't quite believe it still, but there's people that know Het and don't know the words Gypsy Hill in the same way that you might know London Pride but not Fuller's, right? Yep. So um, it's a yeah, it's our it's our most important beer. We uh, when we started off, we had two other core range beers, which was we, our first and only beer for a while was an amber ale called South Ball, which we don't make anymore. Although curiously, we have brought back as a as a cast beer. Uh, we are bringing back later this month. Um, and that was a funny sort of beer to have as our first beer in a way. It was, uh, you yeah, who, know, who makes an amber ale, cool, cool range beer, especially when it's their only beer. So yeah. It was a really nice beer and we, we, were, we, were, we were 75% cask then. Um, probably seems a bit funny for an Australian to hear that. But um, we, were, we were 95% pubs and 75% cask. you know, a bit of keg, a few bottles here and there. Um, as, as the brewery um, migrated from, from, from cask to keg and from bottles to can, um, so did the range. Um, and and Hepcat was not such a you don't see session IPAs in cask so much. Um, the cask market is quite um, uh, complicated sometimes. As the people, some people look after the beer well, some people don't. So uh, most breweries have, that have started with cask have gone on a on a journey away from it. Although there's some still very good cask breweries and some very good cask pubs in London. Um, none of which have served anything for a year, obviously, but. Um, <laughs> so so yeah hepcat was born at a time when we realized that we kind of needed like a a big pale session ipa whatever you want to call it um as our, as our brand and session ipa like or or call it mid four percent pales were what we're selling um, and we didn't we didn't really have one we had a low strength pale in a vehicle um beatnik then she's now called bandit um so it's just yeah it was. A, a commercial decision. We needed that. We needed that beer in our court range. And um, Simon, our head brewer. He's not our head brewer these days, but was then. He um, he created Headcat. Um, he did, did exactly what he was what he was what he was asked to do. And it was and it was a great beer. And it's and it's really become like one of the best known uh, session IPAs in, in the UK. A lot of a lot of people know it. Um, so yeah, the, the business is to a greater or lesser extent being built around the success of HEPCAT, I suppose you could say. Um, so oh, that's, it. Charlie, that's it.
5: Sorry, yeah. in Australia we've got we've got um, we've got kegs effectively. That's the, our tap option. How does a cask work for a pub for in the UK? I mean, for how, how does it work? A yeah, like is it the same? Is it the same theory? The yeah, yeah 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 like. Yeah, for someone who doesn't have any idea what a cask is, as opposed to a keg, which is this big steel,
3: which is a big keg, what's, yeah, what's a cask? Yeah, well, the main difference, cask is, um, so when, we, when you fill a cask, it's still got some live yeast in it, and it's, it's flat, effectively, and it's, it's, it's become beer, and it's done all, it's done all the um, fermenting it's going to do, more or less, it's just got a little bit less, a bit more to do and you, you, you fill the cask and it's basically doing some what's called cask conditioning. So you might brew the beer and package it within uh, a week. Some of the big breweries brew the beer and package it within five days. Mm. It's very different to our keg beers, which are about a month from brew to package, actually. Um, so you can turn it around really quickly, but then you're filling a cask with um, what's, what's more of a live product. It's still got a little bit of conditioning, a little bit of fermenting to do. And like mm-hmm. I say, it's flat. And some people even add a little bit of brewing sugar at that point to get it going. But uh, at that point, it's, it's, it's still got to condition. You might deliver it to a pub then, but you usually would keep it to condition in your own cellar like 10 to 12 degrees so that the yeast can, uh, can just um, gobble up that last bit of sugar. Yep. And uh, it's a, it's, it's a natural product. So then, and then that's how it gets, that's how it gets its um, like light carbonation. Yeah. So, yeah, you, see, you see a cast pine poured and it's, it's um, it's very lightly carbonated. It will have a nice head if it's been brewed properly. Oh yeah, And yeah. right. um, the vessel itself is it like a keg? Is it pretty much yeah, the same? yeah. So it, it looks more like a like a barrel, but um, it's it's 40 liters as opposed to usually 30 for a yeah. keg, sometimes 50 for a keg. Um, and it's it would easily either be dispensed like via gravity. So mm-hmm. the main difference in a cask and a keg is you you pump um, CO2 into a keg to, to pressure it back up right and you don't want any oxygen to come into contact with the beer um, with cast beer oxygen does come into contact with it which means from the from the moment you pour it if you're a good seliman as you called probably shouldn't say seliman anyway, anymore but it's uh you've got about three or four days before the beer is not going to start tasting nice it will start to go vinegary as we all know oxygen is not beer's friend um so you, you get it on and you, you try and I mean, you're trying to shift it in a day or two and um, you've got three or four days depending on how work's kept um, but it's usually, if you see, you know, you imagine the British, like in the, probably see yeah. it on Coronation Street or yeah. something. A like. man with one very strong arm. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah.
3: Drawing it up like that. Um, other people might have it like behind the bar like these barrels and it's just being dispensed <laughs> downwards. Yeah, that's the main difference. There's a lot of big cast fans. We're a big cast brewing um, nation, obviously. And- mm. We still like doing, it. it's just more complicated. If people don't manage it well, it just won't taste that good. And yeah, you know, perhaps they've had a bad week and they have put it on on a Monday and they'll sort of think, oh, I'll keep it on at the to keep going, but it's starting to taste a bit vinegary by them, but they'd rather shift it and turn it into cash than, than not. That's the sort of thing you have to contend with.
0: I guess as a same, same, but different question, um, the move from bottles to cans, which uh, I guess, you know, a lot of breweries in Australia did you know five six years ago perhaps about the same time you were doing back in the day everything came in bottles in australia um now pretty much everything craft related comes in cans was it a big decision to make was it something that you know all of your you know your punters accepted or did it take a little bit of a time to work through
3: yeah, I guess it was a good three or four years ago. Four or five years ago now, it did seem like a big decision at the time. The main one is the investment. Um, a bit like making, like we're talking about cask beer. It's very cheap to make cask beer. You you brew it, you turn it around really quickly. You, you clean the casks. You you just bang it in the casks and then and you condition it properly. When you start doing. Um, when everything's counter pressure filled and you know, and you're using vast amounts of co2 and we had a big co2 crisis here a couple of summers ago i don't know i think it was a global thing i don't know if it affected australia but it wasn't enough there wasn't enough carbon dioxide to go around for for anyone for any industry oh, Good and Lord,
0: like, i knew we were having a what? there was a, a helium crisis coming but i didn't realize there was a carbon <laughs> dioxide crisis. i didn't realize yeah i i
2: don't
3: yeah, think yeah. we were affected. yeah two summers ago i believe it was it was during the world cup or something um, but all the cask brewers are laughing because they were just banging, dealing casks, and saying we don't need CO two. And anyway the, the point is that it's, it all gets a bit more complicated when you start to can everything and and uh, uh, and keg everything. And the expense associated with canning well, i.e., uh, fast in a you know in a, 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 yep. a cleaner, thorough way, but also um, you know keeping your as, as they say parts per. Parts per billion of, of of oxygen in the beer down to a, an acceptable low, so that the beer um, stays tasting nice. That's yeah, that takes proper investment. It was about a, I think it was about one hundred and fifty thousand pound investment, um, which is a lot at any time. It yeah, was a, wow, That's... It was really a lot to us then. Um, and and yeah, and, and on the flip side, you're thinking commercially. You know, we've got a lot of customers who enjoy some of our beers in in bottles, like especially some of the older generations. Um, are you just going to lose out on all your sort of nicer restaurant restaurant business, for example? Yeah, we all like a can, but if I'm if I'm paying twenty pounds for a nice menu for a nice plate of food in a nice restaurant, I probably don't want someone glugging out a can into into a glass next to me. Do you know what I mean? It's not just quite; it's just not as elegant. Cans are more fun and functional and, and everything. But um, yeah, we we did that with some nerves, and we would have lost a few customers. But we know it it's been a it's, 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 a, it's a pretty tried and tested path now, and um, all, all breweries do it if they can. There's some mobile canners that go around. Some of you guys might have heard about them. You've probably got one, yeah. one or two in. We have a few it. of those over here. Yeah. Yeah. And they're quite good, especially for getting started. You know, there's varying levels of quality that um, they offer, but uh, and they're so expensive. <laughs> they just take, they strip out all your margin. You're just trying it out at that point. Um, but yeah, we've now progressed to better and better canning line. The funny thing was about a year ago, we thought we had a canning line that was that would see us through the next few years because our, you know, our business plan was to put 60, 70% of beer in keg. And we, we were growing still the amount of output um, quite quite quickly each year. But even then, with only, whatever, <clears throat> 30% of beer going into cans, we had a canning line that we thought was, uh, uh, was going to see us through. But suddenly we were, okay, brewing 70% of what we thought we would, but actually 100% was going into cans. So the first thing we had to do in the downturn, having lost nearly all of our customers about a year ago was, was buy a better canning line. <laughs> yeah, right. Which was a bit more expensive than the 150 grand one we had. Um, but it was about, yeah, that's the best thing we ever did. Cause we could respond to the huge supermarket demand and everything else we were having. So, is, um, is
5: the evolution to a can happening? It's happening really vigorously in, in Australia as, as David mentioned. It's uh, And is there a similar thing happening in the UK?
3: Yeah, you wouldn't, I remember we have one brewery called Four Pure, you may or may not know, I know they've sent a bit of um, beer over there. They're owned by Lion Nathan actually now, so they're owned by Australians. Um, they're a London brewery, and they started just by putting beer into cans and keg, which was quite, I don't think only, there had been a brewery who had started just doing that. I mean, this was, this was seven years ago, eight years ago. Um, but now that's, that's what most breweries do. So it's, um, like I say, it's a tried and tested path. <laughs>
0: Um, that's back to me because I'm steering this little bit of the segment, aren't I? <laughs> I know who's steering this ship. Don't worry about that. Um, I guess that sort of leads logically to a question about sort of, you know, how has sort of things been in terms of your on-site venues over uh, COVID and uh, that sort of time. And what sort of feedback do you get about the beers? Is this beer a big seller in the bars that you run you know, is, is and you know, how does the relationship between the bar and the brewery work? We we often speak to brewers and they love to hear that kind of feedback.
3: Yeah, that's yeah, well, we've, we've got this place which I'm sitting in now, which is our tap room. You might be able to see it a bit better if I turn the computer around, but oh, yeah. it's, it's it's been an e-com fulfillment center for the last year, and it's not very <laughs> really, No one's sat and drunk a beer in here for a long time, but you can sort of see it. Um, it's a nice space, it's a great space. Um, the bars were hidden by something at the moment, but we, um, with this and the outside space, we we, we could get a, we get one hundred to one hundred and twenty people in, and that was it was uh, it was not always thriving. It's it's, it's a bit of a funny location. This like it doesn't necessarily do well in the colder months unless we stick on a rugby game or something. But um, but in the summer it was very thriving, and it's yeah, there's been no one here really, yeah, at all for a year now, apart from a couple of times in the summer when we opened up outside um and the rent is very high and the business rates are very high so it's actually it's it's, it's been a little bit difficult to always justify um but with the other bar that we've got the douglas fair which is just around the corner um which has which has been properly closed um it's had it's been really nice to have some retail and have that and have that like live feedback and, and i mean we do, we've obviously just done lots of events like this not, not over zoom um, but, uh, it's been a really nice way to get like on the one hand, just data, right? You're just seeing what people are buying and, and yeah. Uh, I guess we were slightly naive, but we were surprised at how much people just come and all they really want to drink is your core cool beers, you know, but I suppose that make, it makes sense now that you look back at it. But, um, I guess we always imagined it would be this kind of brand hub where people would access our like special releases a few days earlier that and there are people that do do that. Um, but it's mainly just people coming down, you know, parents are visiting. Come, let's go to the local brewery and drink a Hepcat Cat. And Dad, why don't you try this? It might be a bit hoppy for you, but why don't you try? It? <laughs> yep. And uh, that's 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 what it's been by and large. Um, so yeah, the, our other little bar is, is very small. It was a former barbers. None of us here remember what a barbers is, but it was it's a former <laughs> bar. Uh, and that's that that's also been really nice. But it's all just it's part of the local brand and local engagement. We we raise money for this place with a with a local crowdfunding campaign. So it's it's really a locals pub in many ways. <laughs>
0: And um, I think you said before we started recording that it's four days until t- people can come and sit outside and drink. I mean, part of what started this podcast in our little community is what happened to you know our pubs over here during lockdown last year. Sort of, you know, I guess you know how how are things feeling over in the UK at the moment, and are you, how excited are you about being able to have punters back in again?
3: Yeah, we are. I mean, we we all mostly we just we're thrilled that we're going to be we've had to cope we've had to learn how to become a brewery that doesn't sell cakes to pubs right like any like like nearly every brewery in the world i guess um so it's it's and we've and we've and we've managed to do that and we've brewed at about 80 percent capacity um which is good because you can't really brew at sort of 40 50 you either need to just shut up shop or somehow yep. keep the tanks full most of the time it just doesn't really work with your fixed costs and everything else um so we've learned to become that brewery. we've we've done we've gone a bit further into into supermarkets than we perhaps would have done otherwise and a few other things and our, our own e-commerce is is buzzing we've invested in it and we've hired for it and everything else. um it's it's put us in a nice position of relative strength because it now almost seems like the pubs coming back is like a bonus um but it's just it's crazy to think i mean it was it was it was, it was 75 sometimes 80% of what we were doing was putting beer into cakes. um so um yeah, I mean, it's going to be a real boon when it comes back. So commercially, we're very excited, but on a personal level, well, yeah, we're all thrilled. I mean, every every outside space. Um, I actually tried to book somewhere for next week with my with my wife. Every outside space is booked. Uh, all of our <laughs> places booked for the next two or three weeks. Um, I mean, uh, partly that's because there are there are fewer outside spaces. There's there's there's, a, there's many a pub in London, unfortunately, with almost no outside space. Um, you know, the high street ones, for example. Um, but, uh, yeah, and also because, because we obviously they can't put as many people in that space as they used to. Um, but, yeah, everyone's very the – mood, the mood is very brilliant at the moment. Everyone is really looking forward to it.
0: Well, that's great to hear from you and the industry because we just sort of know how, Im- how important it is to have punters coming in. Um, demo in the chat feature that we have here in the Zoom room for those – of this that are joining us live uh, has asked a good question. It's a good reminder as to why if you're listening to the podcast, you should be part of our social media presence so you can find out and be online with us. You get to ask these kinds of questions. Uh, He's asking a question about growlers and I don't know whether you have a, if you're familiar with that term or not. It's uh, one of the things... The reason, I guess, why we're familiar with uh, mobile canning lines is because a whole lot of breweries in Australia had to do exactly what you've described, which is move from kegs going out to pubs to uh, packaged products that punters could buy directly. Uh, And growlers were one of the other things that happened down here. So the capacity to uh, have a keg go to a pub and then be poured out into a one, two or five litre bottle uh and people could just come in and take those home um do you do growler fills and that kind of thing over where you are
3: yeah we do do growler fills in both of our bars um i suppose there hasn't quite been not not in our experience at least the explosion of demand for those um people do i wouldn't say that like most people wouldn't know what a growler is i mean everyone obviously in in the craft community but i mean it's still quite a niche thing. There is a place up the road, another brewery that does them um, next to the station. And they are quite, I suppose you, you do see people filling up, but they're not, they, I think we expect, we, I remember buying in a load of Growlers a couple of years ago and thinking this is, gonna, this is gonna be the way that a lot of people drink. They're just, they haven't quite taken off, whether it's to do with people not having enough fridge space or, you know, it'd be something simple like that, yeah. won't it? Um, they just haven't quite Yeah, And I think with COVID, we expected them to to um, to, to find a new lease of life. But, yeah, I think actually people were just much more interested in ordering beer and it being brought to their homes. That We didn't get that many people coming, oh, not as many people as you might think, coming to the brewery to pick up beer. It was really the e-commerce, you know, people just ordering cans and those being brought. I mean, that's obviously in every industry, that's what took off. Um, so yeah, growlers aren't, aren't as big a thing either in our business or probably in the UK as, as they, they, might, they might have been. But it's interesting to hear that in Australia, they Sounds like they've taken off, right? Well, there was just a lot of beer
0: in kegs yeah. uh, when the lockdown hit and hit quite unexpectedly in
3: one sense uh, and people had to figure out what to do with the kegs. So, that was, so what we did and what them up we put them into mini kegs. So that's what we did. I suppose that's, that was our answer to it. And we didn't expect those to be that popular, just five litre kegs. Um, but we put a lot of like ageing, should say beer into into mini kegs and those have been really popular and we're now doing sort of 100 200 mini kegs a week um from the brewery but it's mainly yeah, mainly core beer and, and and the mini kegs is it what people take home because that's not
0: really a format that we get much of here other than you know german beers coming over for Oktoberfest kind of thing
3: yeah yeah people take them home we we deliver them um i i went to a so you are, they've just changed the rules so that you're allowed to actually go to someone's house and sit in their garden. you are only been able to do that for a week. So I did that last weekend with some friends. And, Is it and compulsory to take a
0: mini keg with you?
3: It's compulsory to take a mini keg, yeah. No, yeah but have I've got pop- a new respect for Boris Johnson that I've never had before. <laughs> yeah, so they are, they are popular. There's, a, there's, a, there's two types, really. There's some that are basically just a big can and you fill the beer and it's, it picks up lots of oxygen on the way. And then when you open it, it picks up more. And... They're yeah. not great. And that's what most people do. And we, we do we did start doing those, but a, there's a better kind that you can get which which seals it better and pours it slower and it's just it's it's a it's a more expensive um version. But uh, those are the ones we do. Uh, and they are they are much better. So if I had the name of them, if I have one here, I would show you. Oh yeah, I'd love to see it. I'll try and Ooh, get one in a second. It's about the only that. thing that I can not see in this room. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I reckon that might be a little good point to pause, which will give you a chance to go and find one of them to show us. It'll give everyone who's uh, live with us in the Zoom room the opportunity to go to the fridge and get the next two beers that we're going to discuss uh, and or do whatever else they need to do at this time. And... um, just to acknowledge that there's a number of questions about art and the cans. Don't worry, we're going to get to that. We love a good can art discussion here on The Cool Room. And um, that's going to be part of it because the can art that you guys produce is just amazing.
5: We are now moving on to the spotter, which is, the, which is Gypsy Hills IPA. Um I thought I might start by asking I thought I might start by asking does the IPA in the UK have a distinct personality? Does the IPA does does a does an English IPA um have something which is slightly different from other things, Charlie? Is it is there
3: yeah. I mean, there's well, first, there's a lot of confusion about IPAs and and NIPAs and DDH and and <clears throat> uh, where what terminology where certain terminology starts and ends and, and yep. EVs and what's double and I mean, we 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 suffer from the same confusion in the UK that probably everyone does uh, on that. You will notice that we call it an IPA. We just we, we were getting into a lot of. Um, like, especially with our international markets, just, there's just a lot of confusion about what sort of beer it is. And we prefer to just call everything an IPA if it's, if it is, if it is an yep. IPA of some description and then go into more detail and, and clarification on the verb on, on the back. So, like, I mean, that's exactly what we, <clears throat> a lot of breweries would call this a Nipa or or, mm. double, or double dry hops, you know. Uh, yeah. We just call them all IPAs and on the back we'll, um, you know, first thing we'll say is it's a New England style IPA. So, um, those are the sorts of beers that people are, by and large, enjoying. You know, continuing to enjoy. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's the style. It's an American style New England IPA, you know, which yep. is obviously um, born a few, a few years ago. And uh, we that, that's what we make. We we make one of those every every month, basically. And Baller, which is which is our core range IPA, is that style as well. It's a New England style IPA, and this is what people want to want to drink. Um, by and large, um, like West Coast style IPAs are also, also um, really popular, but just not not not, not, as, not, not as popular. And, you yeah, the double, know, the double IPAs we're making, a, you know, more or less just stronger versions of these, right? Um, uh, English IPA, like, yeah, there, aren't, there actually aren't. I mean, most of the English styles of beer, you don't really see so much in the craft sector. Like, we, we were actually asked to enter a competition to make a, we get these like big Scandinavian tenders that come up, which we which we enter for um, to get beer listings in Norway and, and Sweden especially, and it was asking for an English IPA, and no one's no one's really making English IPAs, um, and no one quite knows what an original English IPA tasted like. I mean, there's all this mythology, isn't there, and surrounding you know the IPAs that went over on the boats to, to the East Indies and uh, to India and and and. Um, you know they were highly hot to survive the journey. I suppose everyone more or less knows those stories, but um, or maybe not. I don't know. Tell me if you don't. but um, we, We'd love to hear your
0: version of them. We we you know we live in a post-colonial society over here. You know where it's all about you know the awfulness of people who must have had to do that.
3: How's the story yeah, well, told
0: in in the UK?
3: Well, the story goes that the beers you know. The beers that people were drinking in in the UK uh, were then being slung on ships and being taken to um, to you know the Indian subcontinent and 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 uh, and enjoyed enjoyed along the way and to be enjoyed there, but just didn't taste very nice because they were just being churned all over the place and etc um, uh, etc cetera, et cetera, and obviously just kept really warm. Um, but uh, that's when they really discovered the degree to which hops act as a preservative of beer, and that's when hops became more and more hoppy and obviously more and more bitter and um those are the beers that made it there and survived and were and were still drinkable um so that's 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 how it goes and that story is is is, is spun and woven in, in all sorts of different ways but that's more, more or less what happened um yeah and we actually tried to brew what we what we thought would we, we considered was an, an original english ipa uh a long time ago about four years ago and we actually um, as a bit of a publicity stunt and a bit of fun we, we, we we put the barrels that we made onto, um, you know, these like Thames Clipper type boats that you see going up and down the Thames, even if you've never been there, you probably know what I mean. Mm. Um, We had four boats that were going up and down the Thames every day and we put the barrels on those boats for, I believe, it was something like six or seven weeks. The idea being that um, it would would mimic the amount of time that this boat, that this beer would have spent on the boat traveling to to India. uh, and it was roughly the same distance covered, I think, as well. And the
0: Thames uh, is a very choppy body of water, <laughs> so it must have been, you know, the same up and down.
3: Yeah, so we did that, and um, and those beers, and actually, in the end, we, we we took some of those beers off, and we 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 they were, they, were, they were essentially barrel aging, and we put we had some more fun with them afterwards. But um, yeah, we did that. That was fun. Um, some of the beers didn't taste that great, I'll be honest. I mean, it's, it's not as that's not a style of beer that people want to drink. Like it's just extremely bitter multi like yes yeah, very hoppy but like english hops like not, not nothing like these beers we've got here now but, um, that was that was yeah that was we had some fun with, with that um but yeah I, in answer to your as a garbage answer to your question Lauren. Uh, mm. but it, there isn't people aren't really drinking like styles of ipa which aren't american influenced um, yeah. it's all that, that's that's still very much in vogue um and this stuff is just what I mean, we never necessarily plan to make one of these every month as a special um but it's just responding to demand. It's just what people want. Um, um, it just- which leads to an interesting question. So how much is it
5: responding to the market? How much do you, like there's probably, a, there, there's obviously a joy in, in brewing them as, as there is, but how far different is that response to the market from what you guys want to be doing? Um, is it, if you can give a percentage or an idea that would be- Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah sure. No, I mean, especially when we started, I mean, you. You'd find lots of brewers, and us included, saying, "Oh yeah, we 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 brew the beers we want to drink." You know, it's a nice, fun thing to say. It, yeah. The reality is, you, you you can't only do that. And yeah, when you've got a batch size like ours, like 60 hectolitres, 6,000, it's quite a lot of beer. You can't you can't be you can't behave too irresponsibly when you're mm-hmm. making when you're packaging that amount of beer. Like if we're putting this all into into cases, it's about 450, 24 packs of beer. Yeah. Um, so obviously, we're putting it, we've been putting it all into cans in the last year. Um, you can you can have some fun when you've got smaller batch sizes, but you can't really mess around too much. You've got to have a you've got to have a strong and reliable market um, for it. But the good thing is because we're producing uh, four new beers every month, we'll tend to have at least one that's quite experimental, um, and um, it can to some extent be carried by the other beers. You know, people are going to be getting the mixed bundles, the mixed cases, um, the mixed orders, uh, the mixed pallets, whatever it is. Um, and it's a good way to just guarantee like demand for those beers because people are happy to. Try. You know, there's certain styles that you shouldn't really brew like a, a 60 hectolitre batch of. It's just it's just too niche for some yeah. people, right? Um, and it was the same when we started brewing our sours. Initially, it's quite hard to find keg demand for them. So you were selling a lot of cans. It's like uh, can we really sell all these cans? And, and the answer, especially last year, was not always. And we had a lot of as we were the long the long tail of inventory that we couldn't quite um, always shift, not at the price we wanted. So you do, have to be, um, you do have to be quite careful uh, with this stuff. But as, as Sam was saying earlier, we've got these hectoliter tanks in now, which is great because, I mean, you can sell 30 hectoliters of, of anything. doesn't matter how niche. Um, mm. So we're going to be having a lot more fun uh, with those tanks. Yeah, by and large, you need to make sure that the market's, you know, market's there for your beers, of course. Um,
5: just going back to the beer itself, uh, would you like to give us... Uh, rundown on on what people should be expecting and how it differs from the other from the other, like what did you want to do with this, which is different from the other hazy or New England IPAs, which are which you produce.
3: Yeah, this was. I mean, like, the these. Um, so I'm having to remind myself. Yeah, this is a. Box of, we use bosque fake It's quite a hard one to pronounce. Hmm. Everyone else said it differently, but bosque fake yeast is. is is a is a yeast that we started experimenting with when we did a collaboration with, with a brewery that was using great yeast, um, which is a Norwegian yeast for anyone that doesn't know. Um we we tried it out for a collaboration and we thought it just added so much to be commented sorts of so right. It's um it's like it's a high flocculating yeast that produces um really nice citrus flavours. And, and yeah, these are these are by and large like citrusy. Um, stone fruity beers, and it just works so well. So a lot of our um, New England IPAs and double IPAs uh, have have that yeast in. Um, so by and large, we are brewing a similar base beer with that yeast, not always that yeast, uh, and experimenting with different hops. And this was basically a, a Simcoe, and if I'm not mistaken, a Mosaic um, combination. So it's it's really the hop uh, like uh, lineup that people are. Uh, like uh, measuring against the last beer that you produced last month, and they're all around six percent, six and a half percent. So we're not not trying to reinvent the wheel in other ways usually, um, but we really like um, Quebec yeast. It's it's great. Um, yeah. In fact, I think the next beer is Quebec yeast as well. Scaloticia. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, and now we know how to pronounce it.
5: No, no. Can yeah. you say that, say, say that again, say that. Charlie? That's can great.
3: you? We need so we actually sell a, lot of, we sell a lot of beer to Norway. It's our biggest um, export market. So I'm speaking oh, wow. to Norwegians uh, every week. Uh, my guy Patrick over there, I asked him a long time ago, how do, how do you pronounce this word? We actually got into a spot of bother because we were, try, we were trying to follow the I after E except before C rule, right? And uh, we spelt it wrong on one of our cans. Uh, and uh, it didn't matter that much. But it was like, I think someone complained and we nearly had to withdraw it or something. But uh, yeah, it's E-I. And I said, to, I said to Patrick and noy how do you pronounce it? And they say, he says, kvake, great," like that. So I probably didn't even say that myself. didn't it? When you yeah. think about it, you say it properly, yeah. I was actually
0: asking about scalatrice. Yeah,
3: I was, saying, than... oh, was <laughs> I
0: was thinking too, yeah. yeah that's
3: quack. I'm quack.
5: Sorry,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, quite, quite, we just got we just, our head around that. We just
3: make duck noises now when we've yeah. got to say <laughs> Quebec. Yeah, scalatrice, yeah. It's an Italian word for a climber. Ah, um, yeah, okay. I, I figured
0: that. I just figured it Hence was a made up
3: English word. So there you go. No, no, no. Yeah, we get asked that almost as much as, as the quick yeah. thing. Alice, uh, who's on this can. So, I mean, we'll, I know we're going to talk about designs in a minute. Maybe we can talk about it now. But we sure. always put one of our members of staff on a can with every release. Uh, it does mean ah, we have to bring yeah. new members of staff just to keep up with the beers sometimes. But uh we, yeah, we always get to. I mean, our core range beers have got people, and then obviously not changing. So, if you get on a core range beer, it's quids in. Um, actually, Alice is also on one of our core range beers, she's on Carver. Um, but yeah, that's a nice thing that we do. Um, oh, that's so, lovely. I really <laughs> like that. People like that. So, so, it usually just says a couple of things about them. So, it says featuring Alice, uh, export, export extraordinaire on the back, but she's Italian so um she got to name it as well. Scalatrice made sense. It was like an outdoors wintery scene yeah. climbing release. That's what we did so Scalatrice seemed to work quite well. So is it Emma who is on the can of the spotter
0: and she's spotting uh, is it seals or owls
3: or otters or you know what's what's being spotted there? Originally she was clubbing seals but we decided to change it. <laughs> no no uh, yeah I think she's just I'm not sure it's, it's uh, it's too profound in what she's doing. I think it's just yeah, she's just she's just she's just sputter. She's just a sputter. She's just a wildlife sputter. Um, yeah. Um, how to- do yeah. you
5: like as a staff member? So if we were gonna if we were gonna join the team, how do you get on a can? Do you, do you, <laughs> you just pick one out of a
3: hat? Is do you have to do something? Is it a yeah, competition? No, we just like if people have we used to joke, you know, you have to pass your probation, right, to be on a can. Yeah. We don't say that anymore. Um, too many beers not not enough staff members something like that um no if someone's if if someone's just started they, they generally go on a beer within a month or two because we're producing so many and otherwise you're just rotating other people which is fine which we have to do um but uh but yeah yeah it doesn't take much to go on a beer um (laughs)
2: <laughs> hey, we, we look forward out. to
0: being on a, on a on a can soon then that's yeah, what i was yeah, going to yeah. say yeah exactly and
5: people who interviewed you in a pop for a, on a on a podcast with on the side of the world um get on a can we'd love that
1: ryan mentioned just a minute ago in the chat that he should be able to get it on a can because he's a distributor but i kind of feel like the three of us have I'm more much a reason more to be on a can ryan. yeah
5: right yeah
0: We're like yeah
5: it's also mentioned in the
0: Also mentioned in the chat was a very good question from Crofty, just to move things away from our entirely self-centred universe which I'm very much part of. Uh, In terms of the Kvac uh, yeasts, I like to call them. Crofty was asking, you know, we know from other podcasts we've done, particularly Torboy and Moose uh, here in Melbourne, check out the archives, um, that those yeasts can operate at temperatures higher than sort of traditional beer yeasts have you experimented with the sort of the different temperatures you can use that yeast at
3: yeah we have i have to caveat slightly that you're not going to get the technical depth from me that you get from sam or one of our we would get from one of our other brewers on it uh far away and we'll just link them into whatever you have to say so we'll make them listen to what you say but yeah, they do, they do ferment at a higher temperature and they have experimented with different temperatures for great use. I know quite use, I know. Um it's a pretty tricky use for them to use um just because it's so high flocculating. Um we've had problems with diacetyl uh here before. Um and that's that's a particularly challenging one with regard to get, making sure the diacetyl is gone. Um uh, no one wants diacetyl, obviously. Um mm. so yes, but they do, they do, they do experiment some quite high temperatures for, for quite easily Yeah. Well, they enjoy it. They they love the technical challenge of making the um, of, of beers like that. And it's a bit like the last sours. They're just they're they're technically very challenging, but when you get them right, the payoff is is huge.
5: Um, I was That's going it. to talk about the. I was going to ask you about the market. So, in in an Australian's head, the UK beer drinking scene is very like it. It it there's a very typical, stereotypical idea of what it is. It's like those. You know those English, those English pails in in you know those those uh, chain pubs all throughout London. You know it's like mildly like room temperature beer. How does how does that fit? How does what you're doing fit into that picture? Like is is it being widely taken? Is is the idea of what the UK drinks changing?
3: Um, Yeah yeah, that's always been the thing like I mean because it's very hard it's very easy to get confused with terminology again because you've got um, we a lot of people describe craft breweries as like breweries like us making sort of largely American inspired inspired keg like more premium experimental stuff but then you've obviously got I mean there's a lot of breweries in the UK and most of them are very small um, about a quarter the size of us probably less and they're making cask beer mm. and would very much describe themselves as as craft in the sense that it's artisanal and high quality and you know uh you know, that sort of thing right so um but the question sort of been how far can craft or, or whatever you want to call it mm. y- yeah, penetrate that mainstream um market especially in terms of draft because we do have as you, as you say a lot of like big estates of pubs yeah. um which are tied to breweries or owned by breweries Fuller's well, this is one i mentioned earlier um although they're now owned by Asahi, as you, as you may or may not know yeah. but um like to what extent can these types of beers which apart from anything else much more expensive uh, to produce uh penetrate those sorts of those sorts yeah. of places yep. um and the answer is that it has been penetrating like a lot. Um the the craft beer market is still only about at best guess like five or six percent of the beer market. But you know the difference between it being five or six percent and ten percent which which is probably where it will be in, in the not too distant future. It's had a bit of a setback uh, is huge in terms of volume. Like actually suddenly you've not actually got enough breweries that are big enough to, to do that because that's a that's a vast amount of beer and don't ask me yeah you know, how much that is but um, that's what's happened in the US. You know, it went from one to two to five to suddenly ten percent of the market, and that's a that's a huge amount of the beer market to be to, to be um, to be providing those sorts of beers. But it has happened, and it's been and it's been it's obviously just been consumer driven. Like people, you know, I always think of my friends who, okay, they they hear more and more about beer because of me. But um, yeah, we were we were a group of guys who drank maybe a pint of cast bitter at, 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 when we were at uni. But apart yeah. from that, it was mainly burger And I sort of think. It's just—it's how much those sorts of people move on to beers, yeah. not even like these ones, but you know, Headcat and, and, and Ranger, which you pointed earlier, right? It's how much people start to expect to see those beers in your in your average pub. That mm-hmm. really is um, how how fast things change. And but but you know they have, and it's because breweries like us have gone into especially places like supermarkets, and it's become the sort of beer that people are picking up because they're mm-hmm. willing to spend another pound per can to get something that definitely they perceive to be. Better and hopefully it always is generally better. So it has it has penetrated the main market a lot?
5: It's funny how that sounds like the Australian market too, um which kind of leads me to another question. Um, and this is this is back to last year in COVID. It, I mean, when ten years ago, when I was in the UK, the pub scene was was. A, a integral part of the of the London and UK culture. You'd, you'd go, like, there'd be people spilling onto the streets from pubs all over the place. And a little shout-out to the florist in Bethnal Green, which was my little local, and I still love it to death. But, like, yeah, it, you'd be there four for or seven nights a week. And, like, did last year, has a... Do you think there's something that's been lost in there? Is there something of the english drinking culture is, is is yeah is it will will have something changed i suppose is the other part of that question
3: hmm. yeah like i i think i think i think it will have the, i mean people are as i said earlier bursting to come back and, and the pub really it, it's almost the central um it's almost like the bellwether of what i mean it's when people talk about reopening society they talk about pubs they don't talk about um necessarily other types of businesses it's like when do the pubs open? Because that's really our, like, society's marker for when we're free and everything, right? I'm sure it's the same everywhere um, to some extent, but pubs are such an institution in this country. Um,
1: mm.
3: uh, yeah, a lot of countries don't have the same thing, they have bars, but the pub yeah. is a is a place, is a community-focused place, yeah. So it has, it has know, yeah, obviously been lost over the last year, and, and if the question is, can it fully recover? Well, in a commercial sense, Probably not. Like there's already pubs closing that, um, you know, the guys who own them are just thinking, you know, what's the point in reopening? Because at best over the over the next year we can we can open outside, and then things might happen inside. But with whatever social distancing and there's it's it, it's been hammered more than anything, and it's had much less support. Um, a bit like the aviation industry, it's just, mm. just they couldn't help it enough, um, and people just haven't been able to pay rents. And it, I mean, there won't be as many pubs. That's for sure. But I don't. Yeah. I don't, yeah, there's a lot of anxiety around. I'm, I'm still surprised by some of my friends who say, yeah, they still won't probably go necessarily to the pub straight away because um, they're just still a bit nervous. They've just been, yep. they've just had, they've just been, they've just had the fear you know, nice. the last year and just not that comfortable being around lots of people yet. Um, yep. It's hard for people, some, some people understand, but it's. I think that's just going to make it slow, I guess, is how yeah. I would see it but I think it will, yeah, they'll be back. How many pubs are left by that point, I suppose is the, is the question, but yeah. But then people are drinking at home a lot more, which depending on exactly how they're doing it, isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, yeah. if you're drinking your garden with friends, that's nice. And that's, that's a similar thing you're achieving, isn't it? But um,
5: Or grabbing, yeah. or grabbing a whole uh, six pack from the off-license and sitting in a park somewhere, which you guys- yeah.
3: Or one of, or one of oh, these. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. Ah, the oh, there
5: it
0: is. That's a okay. magnificent-looking object. Can I yeah, say? Yeah, it is. As someone who loves design, I like that. Yeah.
3: So this is the only way you should really do uh, mini cakes, right? So most uh, people would just fill essentially from this, this bit downwards a, a, a can, big can, can, can of. So food. I mean,
0: I'm going to cut you off and be a little bit rude there for a second, because remembering oh. how many of our listeners will be listening to this as a podcast rather than live in the Zoom room. Oh, oh, they're foolish for me. doing so let's take a
5: picture let's take a picture as he talks and we'll put it up on our on our social media and that would be I think a really Do great way to... a that or... but perhaps you can yeah,
0: describe I... it describe the object and um, describe how it works to us
3: of course so five liter mini cake right um, a lot of uh, most of these that you would see around in the UK would just be the cake um, with um, with, a, with an opening down here to, to to gravity dispenser out right you open it beer will come out um, um, which is fine uh, especially if it's being drunk quickly but the beer is likely to lose some of its carbonation and the oxygen is not going to do it any favors and it's just gonna it's just gonna if you're not drinking it quickly like within a day or so it's just not going to be the same beer as the one you opened um, within quite a short space in that space of time um which is of course how which is not how a keg is in a pub a keg in a pub is kept under pressure served under pressure there's a There's a spear that goes down from the top to the bottom, and pressure from the CO2 is applied to the top of the keg, which pushes the beer anywhere it can escape, which is back up through the spear, and up the tap, up towards the tap. Um, That's all basically a CO2 pressurized environment, and the beer is not really coming into contact with any oxygen at all, maybe a very tiny, tiny amount. Um, It's very hard to do that with take-home kegs until someone invented these, which, it's basically just simulating the same thing. So when you open the top, um, it actually pierces. Uh, if you can just sort of see this. I know the people at home, but it, this actually pierces what is a small uh, gas cylinder, uh, the likes of which people will know from the, from the kids who are doing the laughing gas stuff on the side of the road oh, yeah. these days. I don't know if that's a... Na- not are common in Australia for people. You use... nangs. Nangs. Nangs, right. So we, yeah, you know, you'll see them, won't you, after on a Sunday morning, like littering the streets sometimes. They're a big thing over here, but that one of those is in here. And so it allows you to um, – I mean, when you dispense, it just pushes a bit more out, and there's a spear inside this as well. So it's basically just – it really is a mini keg. Um. That's
0: much more like a real mini keg than other things that I've yeah. seen
3: that purport to be a keg, I've got to say. Yeah. yeah. The trouble is convincing people that it's worth spending the extra money on because they are – there's something like four pounds more for us to buy than the, than the standard ones, but um, they are, they're great. And they're, the quality of the beer is great um, several days later. So that's, it's kind of how it should be done, really.
0: Can I ask quite genuinely, you know, with a environmentalist hat on, what happens to the unit at the end of it all? Like how so do you ability, pull it apart and how safe is it? Is it still pressurised and what happens then?
3: Well, the gas, yeah, it is, it, uh, I would slightly have to pass on that because I'm not sure what we. Uh, oh, good term.
0: answer, good answer. We know what that means.
3: It's gonna explode. <laughs> you can edit this down. No, it's. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure the degree you can pull this off, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you can recycle the plastic separately. But yeah, it's I just a got-
0: small bomb you're going to chuck in your uh, in your in your in your garbage or your recycling.
3: I'm pretty sure you can depressurize them at the end, but don't quote me on that.
0: Good. We'll look forward to you doing that once we're off air. <laughs>
5: <laughs> um. <clears throat> all right. So so we've had a, we've touched on culture, and I think the next question. Hmm. Which is our which is our traditional cool room question? Oh, hang on, there's so, one before
0: that I think, Warren.
5: He's gone go go
1: off, off script off again. Script.
5: I have not gone off script. I've just thought, well, that's a rubbish question. I'll skip that. <laughs> no, it's a good question. Ask question Great four. Question. All right,
1: no, ask question four.
5: All right, so no, because we had a disaster story. No, we no, have there's... the guy in his paint. In the
0: end of the no, 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 trust me. Question four. Question four is a really good disaster story.
5: All right, we love a good disaster story on the podcast. Oh, thank God you've gone with this. <laughs> Can you tell us a story that happened oh on the brewery floor in 2016? Okay, yeah. 2016. What happened on the brewery floor?
0: To to the brewery floor, rather to the brewery.
5: The- oh yes, no, I read that. Yeah. It's like in my in my <laughs> you've come to the party what a on great. the website. By the way, it stops at 2019. You've got to put in 2020 because I think I'm really fascinated by that. But what happened to the brewery floor in 2016?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So that's, it, I guess, different type of disaster, like a slow creeping one. But we, yeah. I mean, getting your brewery floor is so important. Uh, getting your brewery floor right is so important. Like the angle of it, the um, the robustness of it, obviously. Um, because once you've got it in and you've got several heavy tanks on it, yeah, it's very disruptive to, um, to, to do anything. I to do Hours uh, not not too many months after we had um, installed everything in the brewery, it became quite uh, apparent that our brewery floor was not going to last, and it was cracking, and was just not necessarily that safe. And you know, you don't want little, little nooks and crannies for things to to to, to hide no, it, in. It's a people. concrete.
5: It's a, it's a concrete. Like it's a big
3: concrete flat. No, it's not a big concrete. It, it's it's coated. It's coat. I mean, there's various things you can coat breweries floors yep. with to, to keep them. You know, um, to, to to mean they can take all the chemicals you throw at them and everything else. Uh, this did not last, and it started bubbling up, and those bubbles became cracks, and the whole thing just started to rupture. Um, so that was a disaster. Yeah, it was one of the biggest, like, like most, um, like interruptions to business that we that we've had, apart from the last year, obviously. So you know, we we took the very difficult decision to just take everything out of the brewery to stop brewing for gosh I think it was something like seven weeks um over a summer in 2016 to wow. just, just put in something that we would never have to change again um, and we went with these things called chem t- well, it's called tiles they are made by a company supplied by a company called chem tile and um, they're extremely robust they're never going to break anything like that so we, we 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 did that and it it cost us I mean a lot in just lost revenue, but in just like the opportunity cost, we were growing very fast at the time, letting down a lot of customers. You know, you stockpile to a certain degree, but that was, yeah, that was hugely disruptive, but we never looked back and we've only ever put in very high quality flooring from the, from the Yeah, oh, it's a real expense, as you can yeah. imagine. Wow. Yeah, Not quite the disaster story with no, the- No, it's
5: not the disaster story of it, the guy it, who opened a can and, and, wanted, and wanted you to paint his house again. Like, it's not that disaster story. But it's terrible, like seven like seven weeks of of not brewing. I know and, and, and
0: what we do love here is sort of pulling the curtain back a bit, we always say, on what it's like to run a pub or run a brewery. Everyone goes, gee, it must be great fun. You always look yeah. like you're having a great time at six thirty on a Friday night, but they don't <laughs> always see the bits which end badly and that you when you're up and lying awake in the middle of the night going. Can I solve this problem or is it worth solving the problem financially? Should I just go back to being an accountant? Travis, move us along, I reckon. Yeah, let's go.
1: All right, let's do this because we need to get onto this really heavy double IPA, I think. it's uh, It's got to that time of the night. Um, I know we had a discussion just before about how to pronounce this, but I'm not even going to try. So um, we will crack it open. Charlie. Can you tell us how to pronounce
3: this? Yes, Scalatrice. So a a C in Italian is often pronounced C-H. Scalatrice. And a double C is not pronounced
0: that way. So so that's Ah. how you... I think that's right, yeah. Like pistachio.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you give us, to start off with, give us a bit of a rundown on the flavour profile again and what we're tasting in this this is a big big beer um i'm about to try it i'm not sure i've got to go to work tomorrow so i'm not sure how this is going to go down but um i've just given half of mine to someone else so it's a win uh yeah sure and um
3: We only we we hadn't made loads and loads of double IPAs until about a year ago. We started churning out a lot more, uh, and even then we're, we're making slightly weaker ones on the whole. Our brewery isn't, truth be told, that well set up to to brew like large batches of double IPA. Like we we don't make them in a very efficient way. It uh, Doesn't mean we can't make really good ones. It's just it's like it's it, it's it's hard for us to charge enough. Put it that way. We get very low yields. Um, and brewing big beers, as we call them, I'm sure you do too, like towards 10% is actually quite difficult. Um, we usually have to double mash, I believe, with the beers like this. Um, but, so this was, this was like, uh, this was a, a stronger double idea than, than we usually make, uh, although we have got quite a well-known one called Money Bags, um, which is 10%, sorry, 9.9%, uh, which is coming out again soon. Um, but yeah, so this is a stronger one we might, might normally make. It's uh, another Voskvik, yeast beer so high flocculating like often uh, a bit brighter although I've pulled this out it's not quite as bright as uh, I expected it to be um, and they're not necessarily always bright obviously um but yeah obviously high like fruit ester from the phosphate yeast like I think as it says on the label like I mean I try not to tell people what they should be tasting but you know you know, juicy pineapple um like orange orange from the hops orange from the um from the yeast like it should just be Like and stone fruity as well, it should just be all there singing together.
1: Uh, One of the first things I got when I just tried it was pineapple. So, a good good call on that. Um, That's really good. It's, it doesn't
0: feel like a bee with that much alcohol in it.
1: Yeah, that's, I was just about to say that it doesn't feel like it's that higher a percentage.
0: Can I ask a semi-nerdy question, and you may not know the answer, which is totally fine. Was this brewed before or after the spotter? Like, has this had a little bit more time in the can for some of those flavours to mellow out, or are they roughly the same sort of time frame? do you reckon? Sorry, I didn't quite catch it. Same time as the spotter, did you say? Well, I'm just wondering whether I would normally expect these two beers... Next to each other with a double IPA with that much more alcohol to have that little bit more harshness on it. And I'm yeah. guess I'm wondering whether this beer is that little bit older and whether it's sort of mellowed in a good way. Um, yeah,
3: they've actually, they were, they're part of the same release. so They probably are packaged in the same week. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's amazing then because it's a very mellow tasting beer to make.
3: Yeah, well, that's great to hear. I mean, it took a bit of extra time to get to you for, for one or two reasons, probably uh, associated with Brexit, I imagine. So um, it's been kept really cold the whole time, but it's probably had a few weeks longer than it, than we had hoped to get to you. But it's really great to hear that it's, that it's tasting that it's tasting good. Mm-hmm. Now we have a... I was, I was, I was just going to say, we're, we're doing these riffs, as we call them on um, Core Range beers, which is why we had that double hep and um, The one this month is a, is a triple IPA version of Buller. Buller's our... 5.4% uh, core range IPA. So we've actually got an 11.5% version of that coming out. In, um, in and is that the the strongest beer you've ever brewed, or you know, is there? Yeah, that would be, And actually, the guys the guys tried a, a, few, a bit a bit of jiggery pokery to get the beer that strong and exceeded their their expectations. I think they were aiming for about 10.5, 11. Um, yep. So, yeah, it's turned out even stronger. They said so, it actually might be pushing 12 by the time we package it. Wow. Um, Tell so yeah, us that, about
5: the jiggery-pokery that they did. What what jiggery-pokery <laughs> we, we love
0: jiggery-pokery. If there's one thing we mo- love more than an explosion, it's jiggery-pokery.
3: <laughs> I actually can't remember. I'm really sorry. They're, I know they... Yeah, I can't remember. It's um, uh, no, that's,
5: that's, 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 that's great um, that you can't remember. It's kind of nice that you... <laughs>
1: Someone mentioned this earlier in the chat. Uh, pretty much all the beers we've tried tonight have a very strong golden color, that, that pale, that IPA color. Um, do you guys do dark, like a heavy stout, like Imperial?
3: Yeah. I mean, we're, as a brewery, it's like, you know, a lot of breweries are, are specializing in one or two stars. We do try to, um, we try to do lots of different styles very well. Like we're very proud of our lager, for example. Don't really say much of it to Australia. The lager market's a, a whole different market of its, of its of its own. But you know, it's a it's a lager that's for that's, that's in tank for forty days. It's a proper lager, um, and we try to we try to t- treat each style with the same respect as some alluded to earlier. Um, that said, we don't brew that many dark beers. Um, the market for dark beers is a slightly strange one. Like to have a. A dark beer in your core cool range for example could be a bit challenging because you've really got to be getting some like cake some tap residencies and things like that and it's that you know if, if a, a pub is going to have one dark beer tap you know it's generally guinness in the in the uk yeah. and so it can be quite hard to produce like a lot of a beer like that and um, we would do them more as specials um and then when you're doing those, there's only about five or six months a year when you want to confidently be putting those, those beers out on the whole, with the exception of Barrel Age stuff. So we don't make a lot of dark beers and we're probably not that well known for dark, for dark beers uh, as a result. Um, it's more like in the sour, lager, um, IPA sphere that we operate. Um, we get have so the, much fun with our <laughs> can't Get, can't get, get
1: that lager out to Australia. Australia needs more lagers. We don't I'm need just, more yeah. lagers. I'm just We've putting got it out there. Them.
5: We've
3: got, we've
0: got a ton of them, but there's, there's always room for more. That's right. Well, what a great moment as the hosts start to bicker amongst each other <laughs> to bring in some of the people from the uh, audience who are joining us live in the Zoom room. Again, if you're not joining us in the Zoom room live, you're missing out on the best bits of some of these experiences, which is to speak to some of the world's best brewers, exactly what we're doing right now with charlie from gypsy hill and crofty i'm gonna uh unmute you or ask you to unmute yourself and mate you've got one question and then we've got another one from ryan and then we've got two spots left i uh, i did notice you said earlier or sam said earlier uh, when he was there that you're yeah, one of london's larger independent breweries um what to you? I mean, that can mean a lot of things to different people. What to you uh, means independent, and why is that important?
3: I mean, the degree to which independence is a uh, is 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 a, is, a, is a core tenet of like craft. Like, I mean, it's debated in the in, in the US, and you know, the Brewers Association in the US has has um uh, has like rules by which you know a certain percentage um not owned. Uh, so. Uh, owned by a, another party, and you're and you're and you're, you're no longer independent. And um, we, you know, we are we are owned by the founders and the families, and um, and increasingly some of the employees that work here. I'm very proud of that. Um, and we we don't have plans to sell the brewery like in part or wholly to another company. Uh, actually, our plan is to is to list the business one day, um, partly to be able to retain that independence. And one of the reasons for that would be is that we just we think there's a well, I mean, it's obviously part of It's nice to be an independent company, but there's a there's a value in independence, and people do list it as high on their like list of things that they like about their local brewery. Um, so it's something that we would seek to retain as long as possible. Um, and um, uh, a lot, lots of breweries have found that they've they've sold like some or all of the the brewery. And it, Perhaps earlier than they might have done. You know, there's, there's been some like headline cases, and in the UK. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's a tried and tested way to raise money and grow, right? It's no, you can't necessarily argue with it. Um, and it's it's harder to do it um, other ways sometimes. But we're we are committed to to that to that path, I think. And we think that people do see value in in, their, in independence. And we have a lot of customers, and I'm talking about um, you know, retailers rather than consumers who who also, you know hold independence dear and, and you know, we form nice partnerships with companies um, with similar ethos as a result. So it's something that we, it's something that we want to continue to do. Um, so yeah, when a brewery is basically sold like half or, or, or more of its, of, its, um, of its shares to another company, we sort of regard them as not independent anymore. And it's not to say we are necessarily pouring scorn on them, but it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a way of categorizing different types of breweries, I suppose.
0: Now there's we've got a follow up question from the chat, and then we've got a couple of other questions lined up. But Jane, who's uh, asked a sensible question, is like you've mentioned they're listing the brewery. How often does that happen? That's not something we sort of see a lot in Australia. Is that a more common thing in
3: the UK? Uh, no, it is not, and it's, it's 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 in a certain sense an audacious plan. I like it's um it's well, we like it's, audacious. It's up there with jiggery pokery. <laughs> no, there are not many breweries who who've who done it. It's not something you associate with breweries as a natural path. Like the natural path actually for for a large brewery is is, is often a trade sale because you can you can. You can achieve a, a very high valuation oh, by um, by being skin. folded into a, into a, <laughs> into a big player that can Shit, you know, add all the economies of scale, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's not, um, you know, and I've said it to friends of mine who work in the city. You know, that they, yeah, they're surprised to hear that, but it's it's it is something that we would like to try and do, um, and we think that it would it would garner a lot of support and be a, a nice unique thing to do for a business like ours. But, yeah, you do need to get to a certain size and then it's very expensive and you need to, have to say, show, show certain yeah, financial um, results so it's not something that's going to be easy or cheap or quick. <laughs> yep. But uh, it's okay. We're not in a rush.
0: That's, an, that's quite awesome. And we look forward to it being listed on the Australian Stock Exchange at the same time as he's <laughs> over there. Um, young Ryan, we've unmuted you. You've got a couple of good questions and you might want to talk a little bit about the special... Deal that early podcast uh, listeners will get to be part of if they can suggest the name of a beer.
4: Oh, yeah. So um, we've got four packs um, of the the beers that you guys had ordered for today, uh, for tonight, um, to give away. Um, But I thought it'd be a cool idea to come up with just one. Don't enter like a million. It'd be cool. A cool name for a Gypsy Hill beer. Maybe we can email them through to Charlie. He can pick his favourite four. And those guys will get another pack of those beers. When's that closing, David? I
0: think we'll... Oh, sorry, I think we'll close that Monday night. And exactly how people enter or how that works, I've got no idea, brother.
4: So we'll right. sort that out tomorrow. You guys just 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 go nuts, actually. Just no restrictions. Like, go nuts. Yeah, no go restrictions. Nuts. And go if you don't enter, know what Ryan's no phone number is, I'll let you know later on. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll use the social medias and stuff. Um, but here's, here's, here's my question. So... Um, Earlier, you mentioned um, that you were starting to buy smaller and smaller tanks so that you could put out more and more new um, beers, new styles, new new things like that. Um, now, initially, I'd said, given that every beer is assigned a person and uh, like a character and a, almost a vocation, or a, um, I guess a vocation is the, the best word, but you've since clarified and said it's a, an employee. Are you worried that you're going to run out of um given that you're producing more and more beers you're going to run out of eight employees and you may have to do some forced turnover to get new employees in or uh you're going to run out of actual <laughs> vocations like or, or you know like is it, is it going to become is it going to be like moonwalker um stout or uh yeah
3: so you slightly garbled, I think I caught most of that. Um sorry. No, we're very on the on the employee uh question, which I know is probably a slightly tongue in cheek tongue cheek question anyway, but we are no, we're very happy to for people to re re-fe- feature on beers like a few months after they've just been in one. In fact, it's really nice, especially if someone's you know changing appearance and got a bit you want to make sure people <laughs> but the um uh Sorry, the second question was no around vocations. Yeah, it's a good question because most, a lot of our beers feature a type of person or uh, a vocation, someone doing a type of thing, and uh, yeah, we are uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't um, deny that we are often scratching our heads to uh, to think of a new one. Um, but actually, no, we've branched away from that a bit. Okay, yeah, it's got a spotter on this one. but um, Yeah, a recent double IPA is called Double Vision. It's just to the, the both guys from the Hepcat can, yeah, it's not a vocation, it's just a fun name, so we're never going to run out of words.
4: <laughs> Have you thought about the uh, the sales rep? Um, probably be a session IPA because they're always on the road, and then this is to-
0: why I need to mute people earlier.
4: <laughs> you got
0: that in really
3: quick. <laughs> no, we actually had a beer last month called Road Hook. Which was one of our newest Roadhog's. sales reps. Um, yeah, and she had a bag of beers on her uh, on her back, and she was running from place to place. And, and that was a snap, yeah. So good, cool.
0: Well, I'm going to take the advice from the uh, the Zoom room chat to mute the rep. Um, you know, it's just a, a great thing to do. I'm going to ask Shannon to unmute himself because um, he's got a really good question here about you know sort of how small venues operate in the UK versus how they operate in Australia. Shannon, you you can explain that better than I can.
4: Well, I wasn't really expecting the
3: spotlight, but anyway, um, oh, well. I, I heard mentioned before about it was difficult to get, we were talking about do you brew stouts and things like that to get a stout into a pub. Um, and it made me think about is, is that how beer operates in the UK that it just goes into pubs. In Australia, we have a lot of really, really small venues. Um, there might be bottle shops that have a bunch of taps and things like that. Um, it's not as difficult to get a dedicated tap to something like a stout to one of those small venues. do, do those small venues exist in the UK? Yeah, they do very much so. Um, and the yeah, the the um, like the, the the scene of retailers has become a lot more diverse. And I and I, I know for a fact that it's quite similar to um, to Australia. I mean. Indeed, our little bars—we've only got two, but we've got the tap room. Our little bar, as I said before, was an ex-barber's, um, right? And it was a—it was a friend of a friend who was thinking of turning it into a flat. And we said, "You yeah, know, give it," because it had been a, a, a series of failing businesses. Um, it's really what a lot of people would regard as a micro pub in this country. There's a bit of a um, this trend of micro pubs, which is just spaces which, for whatever reason, haven't necessarily. Um, uh, worked in whatever business they've been hosting, as it were, and um, have uh, someone's turned into and like a, a drinking room, right? It's just a, a place where people can hang out, and it's a community focus. And often they've got you know rules around not having phones or um, you know food necessarily. It's about being there and, and enjoying something high quality. And there's a lot of places like that that have opened up. Like, like I said, we've got one, uh, and that's really challenged the um, traditional pub model. And it's it's allowed breweries like us a whole new type of customer who are focused on quality and and, and whose bar is not funded by um, a big drinks company or a big brewery. And so there is some freedom um, to buy what they want. So we do have that, um, very much so. And unfortunately, it has been pummeled in the last year like everything else. But um, they'll be back. And so we do have quite a diverse um, like draft beer scene as well. Um,
1: I think we're going to cross over to one of our last listeners. Michael, you've got a really interesting question, so I'm going to unmute you here. Um, this will be the last question for the night, and then we'll do a bit of a uh, bit of a wrap-up. You're on. Oh, shit.
2: Um, hi. Hi.
0: Um, just a quick question, because you've got a lot of um, barrels behind you. What do I actually in your barrels? Great question.
3: Uh, that, is a, that is a good question. And I wish there was a list. So uh, often what these are, are beers that we've made a long time ago, obviously they're being barrel aged. And uh, so usually stouts uh, or big dark beers, but often sours as well, as, 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 we, as we know, they, they both age very well in barrels. We've got a combination of different um, barrels from ex whiskey barrels to ex uh, wine barrels um, and uh, we basically split those beers into the, those different types of barrels, I mean, as, as a lot of people do, and, um, and just see what happens. Um, I don't mean it's like a cavalier exercise, but, you know, it's, a, it's an experiment at the end of the day. And um, so it's those types of beers that we put into barrels and we, we have a host of different barrels. It's a small but controlled barrel aging program we have here. Like These are all the barrels we have, the ones you can see. Uh, they are all, by and large, full. Um, but we hope to wrap that up with the new space we've got to uh, a proper, like, scaled-up barrel-aging process. Yeah. But, I mean, well, it could just I be see. all full of water, guys. You wouldn't know. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, just, just to continue on with that, like, how many barrels have you actually... It's 20 or something. It's a, it's a real slow return on the investment, obviously, so it's not something you know, where we've had any free cash, like barrel-aging program, are you willing to fight for that? Yeah, um, investment-wise, right. So yeah, um, it's it's a it's a really nice thing to do, and it, and it helps the brand in like lots of nice like fluffy ways. But it's not something that's um, like returning a fairly quick return on the investment. So it's just it's just it's a slow burner. Um, but we hope to invest like in a much more meaningful way in them. saying um, um, getting a space for them as well. It's not always easy
5: hey Charlie just moving on from that a lot of so the there's a there's a pathway for breweries in in Australia where um, they'll start with barrels and then next thing you know they've got a cool ship sitting somewhere uh, have you th- is there any chance you guys are thinking about uh, wild fermentation and different and different um, Kind of different fermentation techniques is that is that something on your radar is that something that that you guys might might be thinking about
3: yes it is um, whether we have a cool ship probably not just yet but we are um, we are talking about that stuff like all the time um, and we you know, we'd love to have like some collaborations with local fruit growers for example for our for our sour beers and experiment with some wild Um, fermentation. But yeah, no, we're not actually investing in in any uh, at the moment. So I've got a really really bad connection just at the end of the pool for some reason.
1: That I think is a good place to wrap this up for tonight. Charlie, thank you for joining us all the way from the UK. I know it's the time difference and everything makes things a bit tricky. Um, And thanks, Sam, when you see him again for uh, joining us for the the period that he would make it um, guys, keep your eyes out on the social medias because David just put something up in the last two minutes, which I think most people in the room tonight will be interested in. So there's more events coming. Uh, we're going to do a few more of these things, Charlie. You've been great, mate. Uh, much Thank appreciated. You. And uh, we're hoping we can find more of, your, more of your beers in Australia pretty soon. Thanks
3: guys. Thank you much. It's been really fun. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Yuzhan. No problem.